This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Liverpool Echo's Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison with Paul Gorse, Keeper McDonald, and Charlotte Coates all alongside me for today's show. Preseason is, of course, just around the corner, and it's the first official day of Darwin Nunez, Fabio Cavallio, and Calvin Ramsey being Liverpool players. So we'll be assessing the summer window so far very shortly. We've also got some questions left over from the QA that we conducted last week that we shall come to and answer as well. Let's begin, though, with a look at where we're at this summer, Gorsley, not just in terms of, of transfers. Contracts will come to as well. But let's do the, the transfers first. It looks like, in terms of incomings, at least Liverpool have finished. But would you be content if, if that proves to be the case? Or do you have any sort of concerns with the squad at this stage? No, I, I don't really. Um, the only the only big question mark is, is whether Nunes can replicate what Mane's done last season. Liverpool need them to really to, to basically stay where they are. Uh, and that's a big ask because we know that Mane is undoubtedly one of the best players in European football. Certainly for the you know in this calendar year, he's, he's been right up there with with anyone else you, you care to name. Um, so Liverpool need him to to hit the ground running. They obviously are convinced that he can do that given the outlay on him. It's um, you know <clears throat> it's not every day that Liverpool commit to sixty four million up front, and what I'd suggest is a, a record number of add-ons in terms of it being around about 21 million, isn't it? So we could be an 85 million pound player at some stage in his Liverpool career. So um, the confidence is obviously there, but they need him to <clears throat> to basically show no no signs of getting used to Premier League football or anything. He, he needs to <clears throat> kind of hit the ground at some pace straight away. But other than that, I'm not too worried over Liverpool leaving themselves short or anything like that. They've Got someone in Calvin Ramsey who they feel is um, someone who can give some um, rest to Trent Alexander-Arnold when needed. Um, they've obviously had Nico Williams there, but I'd suggest when James Milner's getting the game ahead of him in certain Premier League games last season that the trust wasn't fully in Nico Williams. So Ramsey, you know, we'll, we'll obviously see him in the League Cup games and the FA Cup games and, and we'll see how he gets on. And uh, I think the, the big question mark is, uh, you know, the, the exciting one really is... Um, is Fabio Carvalho. I don't think there's going to be too much pressure on him to come through and deliver in the same way that the William Nunes. So I think it's going to be a case of seeing what he can do, seeing where he's best, whether he's a, a, a number eight, a number 10, whether he can play in the wide positions. Uh, at the age of 19, I'd suggest there's plenty there for him to um, to develop his game and improve. Certainly under a, a coaching staff that the Klopp has got there, you know, at his disposal. So Generally, I think Liverpool are okay. Um, you know, they, they went so close to within, you know, an unprecedented quadruple last season. Okay, ultimately they've come up short in the Premier League and the Champions League, but such are the fine margins of the game at that level that it's no disgrace and there's no suggestion that it was a failure or anything like that. So I think Liverpool are fine, really. Um, obviously, they they've been moaning over a, um, you know, the the mythical midfielder will go on, but I think Liverpool, I think they've earned the trust of the supporters over the last five or six years. Certainly in the, in the Michael Edwards era and in the Klopp era. So, um, yeah, I think um, they'll go into the season in fine fettle. Uh, and I think just looking at other teams as well, it's, um, you know, new signs does not equate to strengthening. There's always this idea that strengthening is just a byword now for for, uh, for buying players, isn't it? In the same way that ambition is, you know, if the club aren't showing any ambition, well, they're trying to win every single trophy available to them. So if that's not ambition, then what is? Um so uh, yeah, we'll see. But it's um, it does look as though they are 
done and dusted unless something sensational presents itself between now and the end of August. But you know that's still what six to eight weeks away, so uh, we'll see. Yeah, completely agree with you. I think Fabio Cavallio could be one that surprises a few people as well and maybe has a, a bit of a bigger role this season than what a few people are, are possibly thinking. But talking of, of new recruits, Kiefer, your first time on Blood Red, not being at the Echo permanently for, for long, but in terms of, of the new players that Gorsley's gone through there, obviously Nunez, Cavallio, Ramsey, how excited are you to see them, obviously, with pre-season just on Monday, just a couple of days away now? We're, we're going to start to see these players in red kit at least if not shirts for for the first few weeks yeah 100 percent. i think you know i think towards the back of last season i think everyone was you know gagging for pre-season uh or the off season sorry and you know i think you know the the, the toll of the season of that, of that 63 game season was taken you know even supporters i think we all felt it you know there was a game every two or three days and it just got a bit relentless and but then you know as soon as you kind of get a week of that break out of the way you you, you want the football back don't you and you want the pre-season back you want you want to see the new signings in in the new kit and everything so I think, you know, it's a really exciting time and I think you touched on it there, Matt. You know, I think Carvalho's kind of gone under the radar um, quite a bit. I think that's personally one that excites me. I think you only have to look at, you know, the numbers he pulled up in the championship last season. I think, um, you know, he got near to 20 goal contributions for, for a 19-year-old to to rack up those minutes. And, you know, he played in the back end of Fulham's Premier League season, didn't he, the other season? Um, you know, he scored, scored a couple of goals, I think. Um, you know, got a couple of minutes under his belt. So, I think he's a, a player maybe that doesn't generate the excitement that it, it should. Maybe that's because, you know, a deal came so close in January. So I think people maybe expected Liverpool to, to get it done. Um, but yeah, I think as uh, as Gorsi said, you know, there's there's a few positions that he, he could play and, and Liverpool can have fun experimenting with him. I think it's kind of similar to Harvey Elliott last season when he came back from Blackburn. I think, you know, I don't think anyone expected him to, you know, to be starting the game against Chelsea at Anfield that he did, you know, three weeks into the season as you know, as a centre midfielder, um, you know, having having been out on the right at Blackburn. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's exciting to kind of see what steps he'll take under Klopp. And, you know, I'm sure Liverpool will be going for for all the trophies again. So there'll be there'll be plenty of football to be dished out. And and then again, it's a similar one. I think obviously Nunes is the one that gets the headlines and, and rightfully so. Obviously, you know, it's a, a significant sign. And in, I think, you know, Jurgen Klopp's era, isn't it? It's, you know, it's a, a change in kind of the guard, isn't it? Um, you know, a change of, of formation. You know, he might go back to that four two three one, but you know, even if he doesn't, you'd think it would. You know, it's it's a signing that if Liverpool get it right, it's the next seven eight years of of their front line. You know, similar to kind of what they've they've had with Firmino in in terms of just having that mainstay, um, and then you know whoever either side of him. But um, yeah, I mean, you'd expect him to hit the ground running. I think you know that you get confidence from the way Diaz did um, in in the mid season in January, um, but. Yeah, I mean, it's even even Calvin Ramsey. I mean, you know, you don't know how much football he'll play next season, but that's that's another one that's you know exciting. Um, I think you only have to look at the impact that Costas Simicus had. You know, that kind of elevated uh, Robertson's game to the next level, didn't it? Because you know those two, you know, never really got a break, and and when they did, um, the drop off in kind of Liverpool's uh, you know attacking play was you know fairly noticeable, wasn't it? So. I think you know you only have to look at players, um, you know the likes of you know Marcus Rashford and Deli Ali who have you know maybe burnt out in in their mid twenties, and I think obviously Liverpool are looking to avoid that with with Trent Alexander Arnold. So you know if you can kind of bed you know young Calvin Ramsey in this season, you know it's uh, and if you get it right, um, you know he's I think he'd be, have potential to be a homegrown player. You know by the time he'd be twenty one, um, so, you know same with Carvalho, obviously he's already is one. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's plenty of uh, exciting additions for the future, not just now. So even if they don't come in and play 30 games a season, um, it's looking at the you know the two, next two, three, four years where you know I'm sure the business will you know be proven to be to be value for money. 
Yeah, absolutely. You've got complete trust, haven't we, all these days in terms of, of what Liverpool do, the, the future planning and all of that kind of, of stuff. But I suppose that the one question that we keep seeing, Charlotte Gorst, you mentioned it before, lots of, of fans wanting a midfielder this summer. What what are your thoughts on, on that position? Is is that something that concerns you at all or you just sort of have the trust that if Liverpool say they don't need one, then they probably don't? Um, well, I mean, the fan in me is like, yeah, Liverpool need a midfielder. But... Like Ghosty said, uh, the trust has been it's been earned. So it's a bit like the Van Dyke situation that summer when summer 2017 when Liverpool wanted a centre half and it was clear who they wanted, but it was a case of could they get him at that time? And then obviously all that kicked off. So Liverpool didn't sign a centre half, and it was more I mean, they paid for it in that that part of the season. Some shocking defending, um, but then obviously they got the man and. Look what's happened since then. So we all know Jurgen Klopp waits for his target, and I think we all kind of know who the target is. Um, but it's evident that Liverpool are looking for a certain type of midfielder because they were linked with um, Germany, who went to Real Madrid. So I think they're looking for that that profile of a young, powerful midfielder who can get box to box basically, and is different to what they've got now. And like Stephen Gerrard said, after the Champions League final, they do need someone who can burst into the box and grab a goal, someone who offers something different to what what the side do now, because like Santiago, like yeah, he's fantastic, but he does he's got a certain skill set and that's probably one thing he does lack, um, his goals. So I think just evolving as a team really, you look at City where they're different to Liverpool in the sense that they don't really have a forward who's gonna I mean they might do now, but they don't really have a forward who is going to go score 20-plus goals consistently like Salah does at Liverpool, like Mane did. They relied on De Bruyne, score goals for him, and Liverpool don't really have anyone like that. And he's the best in the world as a midfielder in that position. So, yeah, it's just, I feel like it will take Liverpool to another level, but it's about finding the right man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for the time being, Gorsty, I think it's probably fair to say maybe contracts will become a bit more of a, an important thing for Julian Ward and, and Liverpool to look at rather yeah. than incoming transfers. Obviously, five players now into the last year of the deals, obviously Milner's included in that, but Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain, Firmino and obviously Mohamed Salah as well. Not all of them will sign and usually when you're into the last 12 months of a deal, that usually only ends up in, in one way, really, that they end up leaving. But I mean, Liverpool can't afford to lose all five of those on a free. Something has to change there, doesn't it? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Does, yeah. Uh, I mean, Salah is the, the kind of outlier one there, isn't he? Everyone knows that Liverpool want him and he'd like to stay. And it's just a question of whether they can crunch the numbers and, and get him tied down. Um, with the others... I imagine Ox- Oxley Chamberlain. I think he'll he'll stay this summer and, and he'll just you know leave on a free transfer with the well wishes of everyone in the in the kind of same way that you know Origi has and and Wijnaldum has as well in, in the last couple of years. Um, there's, there's there's no point selling Oxley Chamberlain now if you're not going to be bringing in a replacement midfielder and you're not going to be getting kind of equivalent money to the to the sort of player who Liverpool would be looking to bring in. So. For me, I've, I see no problem with him staying this this summer. Uh, it's more valuable to Liverpool playing in the cup competitions and providing squad depth than he is leaving. You know, for what ten million doesn't get you anyone these days, does it? 
So um, yeah, I think he'll stay. For me, you know, for, for me is the an interesting one. I'm not. I, I couldn't really hazard a, a guess as, as to what would happen with him. Um, there's a scenario where he leaves in the same way that Juan Alderman has, and that really has with you know huge uh, emotional kind of final day at Anfield, and everyone waves him off and wishes him the best. But then there's also a scenario where he just quietly signs a new deal midway through through next season. It's um, I, I couldn't really hazard a guess as to which way that one pans out, to be honest, particularly with the options that Liverpool have got. You look at it now, you probably say that he's probably fifth, isn't he? Fifth choice out of the five. Um, I think Jota's certainly ahead of him. Diaz is. And Nunes coming in for that, that price tag, you'd imagine that he will be as well. So um, an interesting one on, on Firmino. Um, Cater... Uh, I think Liverpool are keen to get him tied down to a new deal. I think that might just be one that just gets sorted at, at some stage in the next couple of months. Um, and then Joe Gomez is not in the final year of his contract, but I think he's another one who Liverpool are looking to to tie down as well. So, uh, yeah, contract work to be done. It always seems to be the case at Liverpool these days, doesn't it, that they've got plenty of contracts to sort out. But um, the biggest one is still got that huge question mark over it in Mohamed Salah and we talk about it till we're blue in the face and still no nearer to a resolution from the, the outside looking in. So um, I guess we'll have to just watch this space. Yeah, the, the Mohamed Salah one, Keith, is always going to be one that, that we talk about until we get a decision one way or the other in terms of what's definitively going to happen with that. But like I said before, there's there's, there's quite a list of these players. It, it's unusual for, for a club to be in this position of having so many decisions to make. I mean, how many of, of, of the five do you think you could lose realistically on a free transfer? Or, or how many, I suppose a, a better question would be, how many in an ideal world would Liverpool get rid of? Uh, I'll flip it the other way. How many, how many do Liverpool keep? I, I think they'd keep, obviously, Cater in an ideal world. Obviously, as Gorsi said, you'd imagine, you know, that's probably got no hiccups in it or, or certainly nothing com- compared to the, the Salah saga they've kind of endured over the last, you know, 18 months or two years. Obviously, Salah, you'd, you'd like him to, you know, uh, tie himself down. Um Firmino, as of course you said, it's, it's a difficult one because obviously there's, there's pros and cons. I think if you know if Liverpool go back to, or sorry, if Klopp goes back to a, a you know a change of system, a four-two-three-one, that you know just talk that he maybe reinvents himself, so to speak. You know we saw him play that role a couple of times during the last few years, and, and he's done it well. Obviously, um, you know it's far less running than kind of what he's been used to, so maybe that kind of suits him at, at this stage of his career. So you could you could make a you could make an argument to, to say he'd be worth keeping around in. In some kind of role and even like a you know a mentorship role kind of thing i'm, I'm sure he's in in no rush to leave liverpool and i'm sure you know as we, we've seen with you know james milner you know, those kind of people stay around and, and pick up trophies and, and pick up appearances you know especially now having having won the cup double last season there's there's now a, a genuine argument to offer you know 20 games a season even if you're not you know in the first 11. um so i think you know that's that's one that you could again you could, you could make an argument for um Milner, obviously, you'd imagine he'd go. You'd hope he'd stay around in some capacity, but obviously, it depends kind of what his his future plans are. Um, and then, as as Gorsi says, you know, Oxford Chamberlain, there's there's no point in Liverpool getting rid of him for the kind of fee that's been talked around this summer. Um, you know, especially if he's he's going to go to you know a team that's maybe you know a, a top six team, say to speak. Um, you know, I think 
say I know there was some some wild rumors about United being interested, but you know you'd just be weakening your hand to strengthen a rival's hand, and and you know as as Gore said, you know you can't buy anything for ten million these days. So I think his versatility, as we saw during Afcon, is you know worth its weight in gold at times for Liverpool. You know. Um, they'll be well aware after what happened the other year in in regards to the centre halves that you know it only takes a couple of freak injuries over you know a couple of weeks and, and all of a sudden your season can be you know unraveling before you. So yeah, I, I think you know keeping him around is, is certainly um, a good thing. But um, yeah, the the Salah one obviously is the big one, but um, I think nine times out of ten, when a player of of that kind of caliber um, does enter the last twelve months of their contract, you know you only have to look at Paul Pogba what's happened. You know that's kind of that dragged on for a similar amount of time, didn't it, to Sally? You know, um, there was rumblings, you know, even two years ago, whether he'd sign a new deal at United and um, and whatever. And obviously, their their kind of management of contracts has been pretty woeful in, in recent years. But um, still, when it's a contract of that size, um, and it's still not resolved, and obviously you're adding that he can start speaking to clubs in Europe from the 1st of January, I believe. So, um, yeah, you'd... <laughs> It, it doesn't. It doesn't look good, but you know, you'd hope that something can can kind of be resolved. Yeah, the the, the first of January is is probably the date that worries people, isn't it, Charlotte? In terms of of Salah, the the, the clock keeps ticking, the, the days keep counting down. The closer we get to that point, the, the more the more concern and worry there'll be, I suppose. Yeah, definitely, because you'd think that every top club in Europe is going to be talking to him. So, I mean, you'd be surprised if his agent hasn't already been talking to clubs at this stage, but. Yeah, like when it gets to January, you, you like PSG, Barcelona, Real Madrid, whoever wants to outside the Premier League can can start making offers to him, and I don't know. You soon find out, don't you, if if an offer's been made, and then performance dips a little bit, and everyone's like, oh well, that's that's not in it, and all that sort of stuff. So it's that's a problem this season. I mean, I've no doubt about it that Salah's an ultimate professional and. He'll know himself now whether he's going to stay at Liverpool or not. I guess so. It's not it's not a case of whether whether he's going to be at his best next next season because he's a pro. He loves breaking records. He loves scoring goals and he loves Liverpool. So you feel like he, he's going to whether it is his last season or not. He's going to he's going to give his all for the club. You wrote something uh, in the last day or two, Ghosty, around Mohamed Salah and, and what it might mean for for the future and. I yeah. think you were spot on in, in terms of, of what it means for next season. Mohamed Salah isn't going to go anywhere and you'd expect that it, it could actually work in, in Liverpool's favour to some extent. Yeah, I just think last uh, last summer when you know he was there with Liverpool for the full pre-season, I think that was reflected in his performances for the first half of that season. Uh, I think, um, thinking back 24 hours to when I was writing it, I think he scored eight goals from... Um, from when he returned from the Africa Cup of Nations, and he scored 31 in total. So, you know, the more than the lion's share of his goals came during that period when you were having that conversation almost weekly, weren't you? You know, Mohamed Salah is he the best player in the world? Probably yes, and and you you're having that debate. Um, so I just think if he's got another full preseason behind him this this summer. With maybe a little bit of the, the disappointments of the last week of last season still lingering, um, and he feels as though he's still got a little bit of a you know something to to chase down and, and respond to, and he's got a little bit of a point to prove. Not that I personally think he has a point to prove, but I just think the character that he is, he might just feel as though you know he wants to kind of avenge the disappointments of missing out on the Premier League and the Champions League, and then of course the contract situation lingering in the back burner where he thinks that. I'm going to show 
the owners of this club that I'm worth the money that I'm asking for. And I think all that, all that might just be a perfect storm and it might be to Liverpool's benefit. So you might just see Mohamed Salah completely fly out of the traps and you're looking at it before the World Cup starts in November. He's once again far away the Premier League's best player and Liverpool are right in the thick of it because of, of what he's able to do. So, um, yeah, I, I think the next three, three four months for Mohamed Salah are going to be quite big, actually. I think he's going to be really, really um, on, on top form. Yeah, certainly a lot for Liverpool to think about. Could be an interesting few weeks and hopefully there is something of a, a shift in that Mohamed Salah saga as well. But let's move on to some questions then that listeners have been submitting. Don't forget, of course, as well, you can get in touch with us on emails at bloodred at reachplc.com. Send all of your, your questions there. We'll try and get to those as regularly as we can as the season progresses. Kiefer, I'll throw the first question over to you. It, it comes from Cyan Roy, who says it's a bit of a long question, but Liverpool have sort of signed players, I suppose, that have kind of impressed against them in the, the Champions League in the past. You think of, of Darwin Nunez and, and Luis Diaz, I imagine, are, are the two that he's talking about there. How much is that a coincidence and how much do those performances come into the thinking with Liverpool? Is it more about analytics? Is it more about that? Is it a mixture of, of all three of those things? And I suppose, does that vary from player to player? What, what do you make of, of that? The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one, that isn't it? I mean, the three that I can think of off the top of my head is obviously Minamino is, is probably his best Anfield performance came came against Liverpool, as, as harsh as it sounds to say. Um, obviously uh, Diaz and obviously Nunes, obviously more recently, but um, I don't think that would necessarily. I don't think Liverpool are that kind of ad hoc that they turn around and after a good performance be, um, you know, wanting to sign a player. I'm, I'm sure there'd be, you know, we know how much groundwork goes in, into a player in terms of the personality, you know, away from the pitch kind of thing. So I don't think that's necessarily something you can you can mask by a, a good 90 minute performance kind of thing because, um, you know, you can you can see how many times in, in the Champions League you'll get players who kind of turn up and then, you know, maybe they, they get a big move and, and they probably don't kind of reach those heights once again. I mean, I remember there was a story around the time of Minamino when he signed, there was, I think a few of the players came to Klopp, didn't they? And basically said, you know, we, we've got to sign this you know, player. He's kind of run rings around us in, in both games. So um, I'm sure that might have a part, you know, if, if players are um, players themselves are coming up to the, to the managing staff, but we know it's a lengthy process. And um, obviously, you know, in, in the case of Nunes, we, we know that it's not been something that um, has been triggered from April onwards. We, we know Liverpool, well, it's kind of been reported, isn't it, that Liverpool have been tracking him for, for a number of years as I think the under-20 World Cup was kind of earmarked as, as a start point, um, you know, back in back in his time in Uruguay. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, is a, it is an interesting one. Um, but, um, yeah, over the over the course of the season, you are going to get mostly people who kind of up their game against Liverpool and, and that kind of thing. But, no, I, w- I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Liverpool are that... Uh, erratic kind of thing to I'm sure I'm sure I'd like to think there's more that goes on behind the scenes than than uh, just a, a good 90 minute performance but obviously it certainly helps doesn't it I think as fans as well if a player's played well against you um you know it certainly you know whets the appetite a bit doesn't it ahead of them signing I think um you know I think Nunes I think everyone walked away from Anfield that night and was like you know whoever whoever kind of you know ties this this kid down to a, a deal over the summer I think he's, he's going to do well um but then on the flip side I, I, I don't think Diaz pulled up, I don't think it's harsh to say he didn't pull up too many trees when he played against Liverpool. I, I don't think I was coming away from the game thinking, you know, if I had to sign one player, it would be him. But it just it just goes to show, doesn't it, that there's uh, obviously more extensive research that, that goes into uh, a signing. 
yeah, there, there's certainly plenty of analytics that the recruitment team look into and all the rest of it, Charlotte. They they do, as, as Kiefer says, track these players for a long time. But I suppose with Darwin Nunez, if Virgil van Dijk, for example, had come in at, at the end of that game and expressed how much of a, a difficult player he was to play against, it, it's probably not the worst thing in the world to have a decent performance against Liverpool to just make that case and, and put yourself at the forefront of their thinking. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's... Kind of like like he said, Liverpool have been tracking Nunes for years, but then it's it's kind of like an audition, isn't it? Play against Liverpool in two games, let's see what you've got up against the best centre half in the world. And Van Dijk mentioned uh, Nunes on Rio Ferdinand's uh, behind the lines. He does uh, BT Sports so about the the hardest strikers he's faced, and mentioned Nunes with the same same ilk as, as Haaland and. Obviously, Haaland's got this big reputation and rightly so. He's a great, great finisher, great player. Um, but Nunes is a similar type of player, strong, fast finisher. Um, so, yeah, if you're getting a, a glowing review of someone like Van Dijk, who rarely gets troubled from, from strikers, um, you're onto a good thing, really. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the next question then, Ghost. The AK London asks, just wanted to ask if a 3-4-3 formation could ever suit Liverpool, giving Trent and Robertson much more freedom in attack. That is all, he says. What do you make of that? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one, actually. It's, um, I don't, have Liverpool ever played the three at the back with Ian Klopp? I think they did it at Brighton, maybe, one, one year. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, I think that was one of the one of the performances of that season. It seems to remember Coutinho absolutely running the mock and Salah and, and Firmino were added as well. It's an interesting one, yeah. Certainly they've got the, you know, you're picking four from, from that three. Uh, oh, sorry, you're picking three from that four. It's, um, you know, you, there's, there's no real weak link in, in that back line if, you, if you're picking a massive Canate and, and Van Dijk, say, and I still think Joe Gomez is, is a fabulous centre-half when he's fit and firing as well. So, that is uh, an interesting one. The, the only, perhaps, question is whether how much impact that has on the fullbacks. Now, in a three-four-three, you you'd think that it would enable them to get forward a little bit more. But Trent Alexander-Arnold is a fullback in name only, isn't he? He's more of a kind of infield right centre centre mid these days. Certainly last season, anyway. So, it's how much of an impact that would have on on his ability to 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 play that way and. Liverpool have got to do their absolute most to maximise him and, and his ability because he's the most creative player, isn't he? Um, but it's certainly, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see him in, in a friendly for, for a half or something, maybe just just to kind of see how it develops. And I, and I think there is scope for Liverpool to, to kind of change things up. We know that it's been 4 3 3 for years, hasn't it? But there's the potential for a 4 2 3 1 now, um, more so than, than there was perhaps with without a, a focal point like Nunes leading the line. Um, never really seems to work too much for Liverpool under Klopp. I think it worked quite well at the Etihad for, for 40 minutes, one one year, and then City kind of got the measure of them and ended up being a one-all draw. Seems to remember them going there at Brentford when they were looking for a winner and, and players were just getting in each other's way at, at certain points. Um, but, you know, with, with the full benefits of a pre-season schedule, and the uh, the idea of staying unpredictable, as, as Pep Linder says, then yeah, maybe three four three could be looked at, and and I'm sure four two three one will as well. The four two three one is is interesting for me, Kiefer, in terms of we've seen Liverpool sort of do it 
in bits and pieces, like Gorsty said. They've never really kind of started with it, but if they needed a goal, I think they did it against, was it Wolves when they, they needed to, to get that late winner? They they kind of do it reactively. Do you think maybe that's a more likely way that we see a bit more of it than maybe starting with a 4-2-3-1? It, it might be that games are finished like that. I suppose that the five subs thing maybe plays into that as well, that you've got yourself in the Premier League an extra couple of opportunities to do that. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, that obviously, like, Everyone's pointing towards the signing of Nunes as kind of the the big change, aren't they? In terms of, you know, I'm sure he would he would work in a four three three as well, but he's just you know playing off the shoulder, um, you know, where he isn't having to do kind of the unself the, the unselfish part that Firmino does. You know, he's obviously someone who's going to peel off the shoulder as as we saw against Liverpool, and obviously a four two three one given Klopp's history is, is probably something that suits that. I mean, you only have to to look at what he did to Lewandowski in in that formation and kind of the rewards he had with that. Um, you know, even Aubameyang uh, later on in his, his days at Dortmund. Um, but you'd, you'd think with a full preseason, you know, Liverpool have kind of got a 4-3-3 free, free, free kind of under their hat, haven't they? They, they know how to use it. So you'd, you'd think they'd maybe focus on using a 4-2-3-1 if that was the case. I, I think the, the comments from Angelotti after the Champions League final were, were pretty telling, weren't they, in terms of, um, you know, he said that Liverpool were arguably the, the easiest team out of the, the run they had with, with City, Chelsea and, and us in terms of, you know, who to prepare for because of, you know how notorious Liverpool's four three three is, and and arguably sometimes it's not a weakness. I don't think it, I don't think it's a weakness now, but at times I think during the early days it had been one that there wasn't a plan B. Um, so obviously that's something they'll have now, and obviously if they can kind of um, hone their skills in a, in a four two three to four two three one, um, you know it's only going to benefit them because as you say the in game switches at times, you know towards the latter end of the latter end of the last season they did work, but. You know, as Gorsi says at Brentford and, and, and kind of games earlier on in the season when they were chasing goals like West Ham, I think as well, um, it was all very chaotic and, you know, there didn't seem to be much understanding of, of what was going on. But, um, I mean, he did play in his earlier days, didn't he? And I think um, at Liverpool, then obviously Juan Coutinho was there when they had the four for, for a brief period of time. There was, you know, occasionally uh, something like that. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how it goes because you'd think on paper, um as kind of you take Liverpool into a new era, that is the, the go-to. Um, but yeah, you know, Pep Lynn is obviously a big fan of staying unpredictable, adding different dimensions. We've seen that with Trent last season, um, you know, kind of going more infield. Um, I, I think it wouldn't, it wouldn't harm them to add a, an extra layer to that unpredictability uh, over the next kind of six weeks before the season starts. Yeah, certainly be interesting to, to see what they do in pre-season. I'm sure if we start seeing it a bit more, that might be a fairly strong hint that we'll see it during the season as well. But let's finish then with a, a kind of non-specific to Liverpool question, really. Matt Snyman simply asks, who is the best player to have played the beautiful game? So we'll go through each of you. You'll give us an answer. I'm pretty sure that we're going to all say the, the same thing, actually. But uh, Charlotte, I'll come to you first. Is your answer by any chance Lionel Messi? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, yeah. <laughs> one's, no one's better than Messi. Like what? What they've done. I mean, no, it's just no, no comparison. I don't think. Gorsty, any other shouts, or, or is it Messi as well? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously Messi being the six-time Ballon d'Or winner, is he seven-time? Um, you'd be hard pushed to argue against. You know, you know I'll argue the case for. For anyone else other than him, um, I'm just trying to think of you know, potential like left field shouts. And the original Ronaldo was was always one of my favourites growing up. Uh, Ronaldinho was my absolute all time favourite player, just for the the joy that he brought and, and the you know big smile on his face when he was doing 
passes off his back and doing all kinds of tricks that you'd only ever seen on you know on the PlayStation and they, and they were working and, and for the, for a good few two three four years he was undoubtedly the best player in the world. Um, but yeah, it's, it has to be messy, doesn't it? What, what he's done over the last fifteen years or so now it will probably never be never be matched. Yeah, certainly my answer, Kiefer. A full uh, full house for, for Messi or any other shout? Yeah, undisputably Messi, but I'm going to go similar to Gorsi, a bit left fielder. I'm going to go Zidane if, if you take Messi away from it. Um, I mean, obviously, a bit before my time, but, you know, when you kind of watch all the, the clips back and, you know, all the kind of DVDs and everything and obviously the, the highlight reels, he's just the complete midfielder, isn't he? I mean, to have the the, the confidence, shall we say, to, to, to kind of, Dink a World Cup, uh, dink a penalty in a, in a World Cup final. I think Lisa, that tells you everything you need to know about a player. But yeah, it's, I mean, he's he just a, a different breed, wasn't he? And um, you know, you think he would have in his peak, he would have got into any team in, in world football. And he's one of those. I think you could put him into any any generation of football, and he'd be able to adapt, kind of thing. Um, and I think that's just a testimony to, to how good he was. But yeah, if if, uh, if that's that's obviously in place of of Messi, yeah. But Messi is my is my number one. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that will just about do us then for today's podcast. Plenty more Liverpool content to come over the weekend. The Blood Red podcast, of course, back on Monday as well when Liverpool are back in pre-season. We'll get that first glimpse potentially of Nunez, Cavalio, Ramsey and the rest of that Red squad over the course of the next few weeks. For now, though, thank you for listening. Thanks for your questions as well. Do keep submitting those. But for now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.